Welcome to the GW Business of Sports podcast. We talk about careers, leadership, mentors, first jobs, and a lot more here. And we do the show from the George Washington University in Washington, D.C. I'm Mark Hyman, professor of sports management in the GW School of Business. My producer is Liam Swartz. If there's more anticipation this season about the men's basketball team at GW, then credit Jamie and Christian. Last March, Jamie was announced as the team's new coach, joining GW from Siena, and next month, GW plays its first game under Coach Christian. We visited the coach in his office on campus recently, and we learned why he's long wanted to coach at GW, how he's been able to engineer turnarounds in two previous head coaching jobs, and a lot more. My co-host for this episode is Thomas Luther, a fine first-year student in the Graduate Sport Management Program. Jamie, I remember being at your news conference on March 21st in the Smith Center, and you said at that time that the GW job was a dream job for you, the job that you had always thought would be a perfect job for you. And looking at, at your bio, I'm trying to connect the dots a little bit. You grew up outside of Richmond. You were a you know, prep all-star player there. You went to Mount St. Mary's. Why is, is GW the job that you always dreamed of? Yeah, you know, uh, growing up in New Kent, it's just such a small town. Uh, I think we had you know, two stoplights for the majority of my life. Cable TV didn't come into effect until I was about 10 or 11. Um, and I just, you always, always look at Washington, D.C., you know, you would come up here and you'd go to the Smithsonian's and you would do that. You'd come to the zoo up here. And, you know, coming from there, it always seemed like such an amazing place. It was such a big city. You know, when you're, when you're growing outside of Richmond, Virginia, um, D.C. Is, a, is the largest city that you're close to. Um, and so when you come to the, to the city and you're, you know, a younger country guy, you know, it seems so, it seems so much bigger than life. And you recognize the, you know, how large it is and the opportunities there and the decisions that are made there and how it really changes the world. Um, and so, you know, just growing up, I always looked at Washington, D.C. as like this, in this place where I always wanted to be. And then when you get to basketball, um, you know, when that, you know, home team sports was a thing and, you know, it was the Orioles and it was, uh, you know, sometimes it was the school up on the mountain, up on the hill over here, and then it was the GW basketball that was on. Um, and having a chance to watch Coach Mike Jarvis, um, again, you know, small country town guy, watching on TV and you know really there weren't a lot of a lot of black head coaches on TV at the time and, and so that's really that's something that I always kind of come back to uh, his charisma on the sidelines uh, the way his teams played how frenzied the, the crowd was for his games and then how he handled himself post post uh, post game I was just always super impressed with I felt like he always did a great job of empowering his players to ask to, to answer tough questions he did the same and I was just really fascinated with that. You know, when I looked around college basketball, kind of growing up in it and watching it and wanting to be a part of it, I didn't see many people that had that kind of energy. And I just always felt like GW was synonymous with having a head coach who had the freedom to be able to speak and to empower um, his players. So the main question I have is if you have a specific relationship, hands-off or authoritarian coaching mold, or if you do a mixture and which way you go from that. Yeah, my coaching mode and the way I love to do it, I'm all about loving our guys. Um, we talk about love is accountability, and accountability is love. 
that phrase starts with love and it ends with love. I think that's really important um, to just know that, you know, when you're playing here for us, we're going to love you and, and we're going to hold you accountable to that. And I think that's really important to understand. Um, you know, in basketball, you know, sometimes it can become like a transactional relationship. If you do this, you get more. And you see that a lot with NBA free agency and you see that how teams kind of break up because things become so transactional. Um, I just don't want my existence in life to be transactional. I don't want that to be the relationship I have with our players and I don't, I don't want them to, to want to have that relationship with me. I want them to know that no matter what happens within their lives, we're going we're gonna to do a great job of loving them up and trying to be supportive of them. And that when they enter to, into the fraternity here at GW or at Mount St. Mary's or at Siena, that we're all connected and we all share the same bond. Um, that's important because, you know, 10, 15 years from now, something's going to happen in these guys' lives. It could be the birth of a son, a birth of a daughter. It could be the death of a relative that they love. It's going to be important for them to know that they have someone to call and that they can pick the phone up and call one of their teammates and have that great support. That lifelong support, that lifelong connection, I think really changes the outcomes of people and gives people a opportunity to, to really be a part of something bigger than themselves. So my coaching, you know, the way I really believe, I mean, some people call it servant leadership. Um, uh, you know, I just want to love the guys up. I just want them to know that they're really loved and cared for. Um, trying to create an environment where everything they want to achieve, they can achieve something bigger than themselves and they understand the importance of the love within that. I, I'm sure you had to have some tough conversations with players who are in the program and had certain roles in the, in the program um, that were going to change as a result of, of your philosophy and, and, and the ideas that you were bringing in. Can you tell us about how you handle that? How do you tell a player, hey, it's not going to be the way it was before? Yeah, you know, it's, um, you know, all I ask for the guys to do is have an open mind. Uh, just have an open mind for how things are going to operate and how things are going to change. Change is scary for everyone, no matter what walk of life it is. But for, you know, players that are in college, I mean, they have a small window to play college basketball, and they've always dreamed to be able to play college basketball at this level. You know, they've got a four- or five-year window, and some of these guys I inherited have one or two years. So, um, you know, just having an open mind, um, trying to help them understand how, my way of thinking. You know, coming in, first of all, the first thing I wanted to do, you know, I spent the first three days really asking them a lot of questions, um, have, giving them the opportunity to kind of speak on the things that they wanted to improve on, things that they saw needed needed more improvement, things that they thought were going well. Um, and just trying to give them that dialogue, give them that platform where they have the opportunity to speak their mind. And, and then, you know, I'm, I'm a strong enough leader that I can go back and then make tough decisions. And, and I make sure they know that. You know, I'm not afraid to make tough decisions. Um, I love you, but that doesn't mean that you get to abuse my love because we were all here for a common purpose. Um, and those conversations are tough, but I think you just try to handle them the best way you can in terms of asking what that what the players' uh, objective are, what their goals are for the future, and what kind of environment they want to be a part of. You know, if they choose to want to be a part of an environment that's, you know, something bigger than themselves, where it's full of love and connection through day in and day out, and where they're held accountable to their dream, um, this is a great place for them. And so just trying to hold them accountable to that. Um, you know, and just trying to handle it with grace as much as you can. Um, it's tough because, again, these guys have a small window. But, you know, just trying to handle it with grace and just having, having those tough conversations. Listen to them. And, but make sure you hold your ground on our You already hit on it a little bit, but I'm just curious how much of your philosophy came from and you started to build it when you were the team captain at Mount St. Mary's. Well, I think so much of our, so much of, of our experiences are based on, on things in the past and taking from the good and, and trying to eliminate the bad. Um, you know, I was fortunate. I played for a great head coach in high school and in college, so I have two Hall of Fame head coaches I've had a chance to play for. Um, and so I'm learning all the time from them. I'm still learning from them. Uh, just trying to be reflective and have self-awareness um, to, you know, the way they handle things, why they handle things that way. And I'll call them and ask them and, you know, try to try to understand the exact why. And they always had a great feeling for that. And so I had such a great foundation 
from all the coaches I've had a chance to work for and play for. I think the biggest thing that helped me at the Mount was, you know, not only being a captain, but being a good player for a year or two there and, you know, being one of the best players on the team and being one of the worst players on the team. And, you know, it gives me a, uh, it gives me an experience level where I can understand what it's like to play 35 minutes and play zero minutes and, and be able to just, as a player, be able to connect with them and how they're feeling. And, you know, my biggest task with the players is trying to help them kind of remove their emotion from the moment so they can allow their natural talent to go out and flow. And, as a player, I always felt like that's what I did worst. You know, I could be emotional in the moment and then not make the right decision and let that lead me into another into another bad decision. And you know, so we're just trying to do a great job with that. And so, using all our experiences um, and then other, understanding the gravity of leadership um, within a team within an organization, I do shoulder that and I do understand that. And you know, I've been in that position for a long time. Looking at, at your yeah, you know, your record is amazing. Your, your record as a head coach, and one of the things that that really stands out is. You've had one losing season, and that was 16 and 18 or yeah. something. I mean, n nearly a 500 season. And, and it suggests to me, I think, that you have a special ability to win with players that other coaches have not been able to win with, um, both at Siena and, and at the Mount. So uh, it'd be interesting to hear you talk about that. Well, I embrace challenges. Uh, I love challenges. There's nothing more... You know, great in life than being able to embrace challenges. Um, I'm a big believer in people. So, you know, when I come into a situation, I don't evaluate people from what they can't do. I evaluate people for what they can do. Um, I think that's extremely empowering when we're able to get a unit and a, and a group of people to, to just believe in the things that they do well and, and how it can help the team. And my job is to kind of help them show, help, help show them how those, those strengths are really powerful. So we've tried to do that everywhere we've been. Um, so you're always going to win with the things that you can do, you're always gonna lose the things that you can't do. That that doesn't change. But if we can magnify the things that they can do, man, how good can you be? You know, if you're in a great environment where you're loved and connected and you're embraced for the things that you do well and you're embraced for the person that you are, the the ceiling there is no ceiling to how good you can be. So we've always just tried to really establish that really early on and quickly and um, you know, I've been fortunate to have great assistant coaches that are working tirelessly around the clock to try to empower these guys and pick these guys up and um, you know, they embrace the same challenges I do. They embrace the challenge of looking at a roster that people don't think maybe is very good, and and trying to show the world that it is good. And you know, if you're gonna try, if you're gonna achieve anything in life, you're gonna have to. If you're gonna achieve anything great in life, you're gonna enter into a situation that no one thinks can be, no one thinks it can be done. And you've got to embrace that. And you've got to embrace the impossible. And if you're able to embrace that, you've got a chance to do some really special things. So we've always just tried to embrace that. And I've always just looked at the teams I, I get a chance to coach, and I just think, man, how talented are these guys? You know, I, I, I have this thing where I think talent is overrated. I just feel like, you know, the difference between the first place team and the last place team is maybe a little bit of talent, but talent is, is a really overrated quantity in, in our in our culture. And the reality of it is if, if we get our five guys on the floor and our unit of guys on a, in our program to work together from top to bottom, we're going to be really good. And if we can reach our full capacity as a group, it doesn't tell you how good you can be. So on top of what Mr. Hyman just asked in relation to your coaching players that have been recruited from another coach, how much different is it recruiting when you're located in a big city? Well, it's a, it's a, it's a lot easier. <laughs> no, you know, I think every place has its different challenges. Um, you know, some people love being in the city. Some people are intimidated by it. You know, the great thing here in Foggy Bottom and at George Washington, we have such a great culture of the people here. And when people come and visit, it, it it's... Some of it is about the environment, but a lot of it is how you feel when you leave and how you feel when you're there. 
And we have a great culture at GW where people feel great when they're here on campus. They feel connected in a short amount of time on a, on a 48-hour visit with the campus. They feel connected with our students, with our, with our faculty. And I think when they feel that, you know, it, it takes a different dynamic in, 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 their, uh, in their growth and their understanding in terms of visits. Um, you know, and I think the, the other thing is just trying to make sure that we're, we're recruiting players that really embrace GW, that want to be a part of our culture here on campus, that want to be, you know, that want to do internships in the summertime. They want to spend time with the professors and learn from the very best in the world every single day. So that's our job is to try to find those that can really embrace that, that can, that can, that can really understand and that love being a part of that. Um, and when we bring those people to campus, I mean, they love it. They, they can't wait to put one of these George Washington t-shirts on. Jimmy, the last question is a really hard-hitting question, and, and it, it deals with the specialness of the initial J in your family. <laughs> so uh, your name obviously starts with a J. Your brother Jarrell is yep. assistant coach with the Wizards. Your dad, John, was a track and field star at Virginia State. And your son, I believe, who we met at the press conference, his name is Jacoy. So what is it? What is it about the letter J? Yeah, my mom's name is Joyce, and my grandfather's name was was, was John. My dad, did, my dad, is uh, a second. So, um, no, it's it's just something we've done in our family. Um, we've gone. It's all JAs. So it's like my name is Jamie and Augustus. My brother is Jerome Allen. My dad's John Augustus, and, and his his father was John Augustus as well. So um, it's just something we've always really embraced. Um, you know, we've just we've kind of stuck with that. And Jacoy's the same way. His middle name's Henri. Um, so we've just kind of taken that as a family identity part, and it's been a lot of fun. Uh, you know, it makes it interesting when, when someone has a, has, a, has a child, because there's a lot of pressure to have that J name and to come up with something that's unique and different. But it's, it's something that we really like. We really enjoy it, and um, it's always pretty funny. And, and my mom, she struggles sometimes because she gets them all kind of mixed in together. But um, it's just something different, and it's something that we do as a family, a little family tradition. And, and uh, you know, I'm looking forward to hopefully Chikoy being able to continue that someday. That's great. It's been great sitting with you and getting to know you a little bit better and look forward to, to the season in the not-too-distant future. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me on. Uh, sure. Just a pretty, really appreciate you taking the time.